Welcome to the Embracing Brokenness podcast, where our goal is to engage with all of those willing to venture deeper into their transformational journey with Christ. Here's your host and co-founder of Embracing Brokenness Ministries, Steve Adams. I read of a man who stood to speak at a funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of birth and spoke of the following date with tears, but he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time they spent alive on earth, and now only those who love them know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that still can be rearranged. To be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that this special dash might only last a little while. So when your eulogy is being read with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about how you lived your dash? Something to think about, folks. That was a poem written by Linda Ellis called The Dash. Welcome back to the Embracing Brokenness podcast. We are focusing this time around on legacy and the dash on our tombstone. You know, I think a lot back of the years in my past where I made choices that implied a lot of things, not only at that time, but about my future. And although I don't like living in the past because I don't think it's all that helpful, I mean, there's a lot of things we could have regrets over, I think it's important that we debrief areas that have impacted us now, our present, but using them in a positive vein to help develop even more purpose for the future. You know, I I say this a lot, but my concern for many of us is that those two thieves become a prominent theme in our life. What are the two thieves? They are the regrets of the past and the anxiety over the future, and it steals our joy. So I, I, I've really come to a place where living in the present becomes a whole lot more important than thinking about the past or even the future. But I, I have to say this, there's, a, there's an element in it as we look forward and plan that we have to open up our lives to discover even more about the purpose that God has brought us to this place for. And you know, one of my favorite quotes is, is by Mark Twain. And what he says is, is really simple. He said, the two most important days in your life are the day that you're born and the day you find out why. The day you find out why. And I don't know where Mark's Twain's theology landed, but I do know this, that the why is a big part of the reason we exist. Because God's purposes are wanting to be fulfilled in our lives. But first and foremost, it takes a relationship with him to get there. So we're not 
going to advance in our purpose until we develop a strong relationship with him, one that is focused on him, his word, his commitment to us as believers, and in a way that's meaningful, not just for us, but for the people around us, because living in isolation is not going to fulfill any purposes. You know, God calls us to be lovers of him and lovers of others. Well, you know, I heard a pastor friend of mine once say, hey, ministry would be great if it weren't for the people. Well, tongue in cheek, it's funny, because there are a lot of difficulties when we decide to step into our purpose, step into our legacy, and make a difference in other people's lives, because it can get really messy in a hurry. You know, I had a ministry that I'm involved in where I go into the local prison, and, you know, it's not obviously the most pleasant place in the world, but I have an experience of my own that date back 25 years, and you'll read about that in an upcoming book that I have, but going there, though, understanding the difficulties, the hardships, and the things that people made choices to do or have done to them that landed them in prison, you know, that's not an easy thing to tolerate for anybody, even those coming in from the outside. It can be a little scary, intimidating, but I love going there because in this particular instance, I have one man that I'm I'm spending a lot of time with and he loves the Lord but he also understands that there are consequences to choices but those choices can be reversed he has an opportunity and has declared it so that he wants to tell his story he wants to help people understand the love of Jesus and what that means in light of their own lives and their own choices and legacy quite frankly your legacy is now it's not in the future. It's not in the past. It's right now. And as we get up every day, we start to look at the world around us. We should take the spiritual antennas God's given us and tune them into his will for that day. Yes, it's part of a bigger picture. Yes, it's part of a legacy that we want to leave behind, but it shouldn't be the primary focus. Today is what God has for you. Not tomorrow, not yesterday. I'm going to give you a quote. I've read, I'm reading a book. In fact, I, I just borrowed the title of it, Your Legacy Is Now, by a business mentor of mine, Alan Weiss. Uh, I've had some communication with him. I don't know him well, but uh, I love this book because even though it may be written more from a, I'll call it secular perspective, uh, I think Alan has some solid truths that he brings forth in it. And I want to quote just from, I think it's the intro. He says, life is short even for the longest lived of us. It's a shame to believe that people will appreciate and comment on our contributions only when we've died. It's vital that we appreciate whatever and whomever we can while we're able to do so. And that includes appreciating our own contributions. Okay, so appreciating our own contributions. Well, of course we should. But really, as a Christian, our contributions are dictated and also directed by our Savior, one that through his spirit can motivate us to do the things that he would want us to do, to share the lives of our, our own selves and others around us, and just come together in community, especially now because we see such a divided country here in the U.S. and even overseas and elsewhere, and we're still dealing with the ravages of a global pandemic. We're dealing with uh, the concern over uh, identity uh, that people are kind of looking to almost in the color of our skin rather than the content of our character as Martin Luther King Jr. said 
And so how as Christians are we to lead into that? How do we, you know, take the purpose that God's given us, the legacy that we want to leave behind, this dash in our tombstone, right, which is the difference between the beginning date and the end date, and make the most of it. So my challenge to you is this, um, you know, we have to begin to develop a desire to understand not only God's purposes, but also God in the midst. Identity can only come as we begin clearly defining who God is and who he's created us to be. But doing that can really become very difficult because we are wounded people. We are people that have gotten hurt. You know, whether that's an influence of others, whether our parents or significant others, people that raised us, people that have been around us, they sow into to us less than perfect messages. Quite frankly, they're lies. And we begin to believe those lies about ourselves. And that derails us from the journey that God's called us to towards healing, but then also towards fulfilling our purposes that he's brought us on this earth to to do. Not just to honor him, but to honor others and to share that message. So I I want to play just this short clip. And I, you know, I do this a lot, but there's um, a gentleman that I've quoted before. I had a podcast about the ruthless elimination of hurry. Uh, His name is John Mark Homer, and he has put together a talk here on identity and purpose. And I just want to take uh, the first segment of that and play it for you. And then challenge you to think differently about how you view yourself and you view others through the lens of Jesus Christ. So we'll be back in a minute. A few nights ago, we had some friends over for dinner, and we had a great time, but Jude, my firstborn, who's in the middle school group right now, was just a bit off that night. Normally, if you know Jude, he is charming and intelligent and the life of the party, which he did not get from me at all. But for whatever reason, he was just not himself. He was a bit rude and wild. That's actually not too far out of character, but he's 11. And he's honestly a bit churlish. And so our friends went home, and we put the littles to sleep. And I sat down with Jude, kind of at the foot of the bed for the father-son talk, and just, you know, started to go in gentle, you know, because I know I'm an Enneagram type one. Some of you don't know what that means. I know what that means. I'm just like father wound waiting to happen, all right? So I'm, I'm aware of that. So I ease in. Hey, you know, did you, how, how was your day today? Did anything, ba- anything bad happen at school today? And he's in that like pre-teenager phase. So like his language devolved a few months ago to like yes, no, or a grunt. And so no. And we have a great relationship, but it was not uh, obvious at that moment. Okay, um, are you doing okay? Yes. Anything you want to talk about? Mm. Okay. So like, but I could just tell something was not right, you know? And so I poke and I prod for a few minutes and there's an awkward silence. And then about five or 10 minutes in, all, it's like something just breaks. And he starts to cry. And he said, quote, Dad, I feel like the only place where I can be myself is with you or mom. Everywhere else, I feel like I have to put on, quote, a false show. I have to be like, the ham, I, or what did he say? I have to be the class clown in order to get people to like me. And you know, life comes down to a series of moments, right? And so I just felt this weight settle over 
the foot of my bed in that moment. And if you're a parent, you're there, like, and you're supposed to know what to do. And, you, and it's terrifying. You have no idea what to do. But you're supposed to know, right? So, okay, you're there. And so I just said, Jude, um, is that true or is that a lie? And he said, it's a lie. And I said, what's the truth? You know, and it was, I don't know. And it was, the truth is that you're loved and you're lovable. And you have all sorts of problems and issues, and I'm happy to help you figure out what they are. But, um, <laughs> but you are also loved and lovable. And, and we had this beautiful conversation. The next morning we got up, we read the Bible together, and I prayed, and he went off to school, and he was back to himself. We had a great week and a great weekend. But it was a Thursday morning. He, he went off to school, which was the day I write my teaching, and it just got me thinking, like, what if I hadn't been there? What if he had internalized that lie? What if it never came to the surface? What if it was never exposed as a lie? Or what if worse, I had been there, but I had added to that lie, like fuel on the fire. Yeah, well, you know, the world's a dog-eat-dog place or whatever, and you gotta, like, you gotta make your mark or something like that. What if he had internalized that lie? What if he had started to believe that lie? What if over time that lie had become the truth? And then what if you were to project that out 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, over a lifetime? What would that lie that became the truth, how would it work itself out in his life trajectory? My guess is he would end up in a very different spot than a man who is well aware from a young age that I'm loved and I'm lovable with all of my stuff. My point is what we believe about our identity and our calling has all sorts of ramifications for who we do and do not become, for what we do and do not do with our life. You see, Jude, just a few weeks before his 12th birthday, is just starting to go on a journey of discovering his identity and calling. And this is a journey that all followers of Jesus are invited to go on. Sadly, a lot of them never do. But all of you are invited. And I would argue that one of the key tasks of our apprenticeship to Jesus is discovering our identity and calling. And I'm not alone here. Augustine, for example, in 400 AD in his famous book, Confessions, said this, how can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? And then his famous prayer, grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. In the 12th century, the German theologian Messeter Eckhart said, no one can know God who does not first know himself. Around the same time in Rome, the Dominican scholar St. Catherine said almost, sorry, I'm sorry, when we, who, when we are who we are called to be, we will set the world ablaze. In the 15th century, the Spanish mystic St. Teresa of Avila put it this way, almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from lack of self-knowledge. And if you want to write this off as like a Catholic mystic thing, which is your problem, but if you want to write it off for that, here's John Calvin himself, anything but a mystic or a Catholic. In his tome, Institutes of Christian Religion, he said this, quote, our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But these are connected together by many ties. It is not easy to determine which of the two proceeds and gives birth to the other. And then more recently, the Catholic monk Thomas Merton in his famous book on contemplative prayer said, for me to be a saint means to be myself. And don't read that out of context. He's not at all saying, just you do you, you're a snowflake. He's not saying that. Therefore, you're a snowflake. You sin in all sorts of special and unique ways. Like, I agree. Here's what he goes on to say. Therefore, the problem of sanctity 
and salvation is in fact the problem of finding out who I am and of discovering my true self. My point is that for over a millennia and a half, so many teachers of the way of Jesus have said that self-awareness isn't just a self-help therapeutic kind of emotional candy corn, but it is a key part of our apprenticeship to Jesus. I mean, just think about it for a minute. How many, to pick on an easy target, how many pastors do you know of who started a church, often a mega church, thousands of people who knew the Bible and theology backwards and forwards, were well-educated a lot of the time, who woke up every single day, read the Bible, prayed, but then at some point imploded and dragged hundreds or thousands of people down the well with them, all because they were blind to their own shadow side, running from a father wound that went back two or three decades, leaving a trail of dead bodies in their wake. Or to bring it closer to home, how many couples do you know that had so much potential to make a life together, but ended a relationship or a marriage before it even got off the ground because they just did not know their own inner beauty and their own inner brokenness, and you have to live in that tension, or the inner beauty and the inner brokenness of their spouse or significant other, or to bring it even closer to home, how many parents do you know, your own mom, your own dad, who missed it? They did not know their own identity and calling, and so they were blind to their shadow side. They were blind to their own unhealth or immaturity or mother wound or family of origin or baggage from this, that, or the other, and it just leaked unhealth onto you and your siblings or friends and family. Or they did not know a child's identity or a child's calling, and so they ended up forcing you or whoever into clothes that you were never meant to wear, and it was a straitjacket, and it was suffocating, and you got out the second you turned whatever, you were gone, and what could have been never was. My point is that our self-awareness in the language of therapy, or our lack of self-awareness, has a direct bearing on our relationship to God, our relationship to other people, in particular family, friends, but even a coworker, a boss, all of that, and on our relationship to our own soul. I can't think of a better summary of the why behind this practice than from Pete Scazzaro. He writes this, the vast majority of us go to our graves without knowing who we are. Let's think about that for a minute. The vast majority of us go to our graves without knowing who we are. We unconsciously live somebody else's life or at least someone else's expectations for us. This does violence to ourselves, our relationship with God, and ultimately to others. So this isn't just about self-awareness. It's about spiritual formation. Because when I go on the journey of self-discovery, a good bit of what I discover about myself is brokenness, not just beauty, right? It's a both and. Like, I am a snowflake, I sin in all sorts of ways that are creative. And wow, we've never thought of that one before. And at the same time, there's an inner beauty to me and to every one of you in the room. And so as we become self-aware, we become aware of the good and the bad and even the ugly in our own soul. The places where we are deeply wounded and in need of healing. The places where we're not wounded at all, we're just kind of messed up, and we're a bit of a jerk and need to get free and grow up and mature. But this is why so many people never go on the journey of self-discovery. It's too much work, it's too scary, they don't feel safe in the love of the Father because you ironically have to feel safe in the love of the Father and ideally of the family in order to face your own shadow side, to have the courage to stand up knowing I'm loved and I'm loved into someone and something better than I am now. 
One of the phrases that John Mark used that stuck out with me there was the shadow side. And if we aren't honest about it, we won't recognize the devastation that the enemy wants to make and wreak into our own life. There is a spiritual war that's going on. We don't see it. It becomes a big part of what we're working against sometimes in coming to our true self, our identity, fully realized in Christ. So there's an aspect of, of determining what your purpose is, is to pray against that, to recognize that there is an evil in the world that would completely sideline us from getting to the place God wants us to be as true believers, as ones that follow him. Uh, so I want to read, uh, this is from Romans 8, and Paul the Apostle shared this. He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And he goes on to say this in verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So what that says to me is really simple. The best is yet to come, okay? But we do have this dash and what uh, we refer to around here oftentimes in the ministry as our short-term missions trip. We have just a blip on the radar screen of time where we exist in eternity. But the purpose in it is far greater than we can possibly imagine. We are part of a greater story that God has crafted for mankind. And we have our part to play in this story. And as the probably third or fourth act is now winding down right now, we can look more deeply into that in Revelation 20 and 21. We have got to rise up and get out of lukewarm territory and challenge ourselves to determine, to discover God's purpose for our lives. Uh, and I know that's not an easy thing for many of us because it requires slowing down the pace of life to speed up. But we must begin now with the end in mind. And the end is not that far away. Guys, just look around you. If you see what you see in the world, as I mentioned earlier, the birth pangs of what is yet to come. You know, we, we live in faith over fear, but much of the world right now does not. I mean, if you just watch, you know, all you have to do is turn in, tune into social media or, or mainstream media or any, any outlet that is more willing to propagate hate and division and fear, which seems to be what sells, I don't know. Love to get some news stories that are different than that, but that's the reality of the world we live in. If you tune in there, you'll notice that it all perpetrates and perpetuates in the category of fear. So as Christians, we must allow ourselves the time, energy, and a place to develop that relationship with Jesus Christ, which means just separating ourselves from that. 
and staying in our lane, knowing what God's called us to, not delving into things that he didn't call us into, but really when the bottom line is rolls around and at the end of the day, to use a bunch of cliches, we must love him first and love others the way we would even love our own selves. So folks, I would challenge you now to wrap things up here to just ask the question of Jesus. Ask God to come into your life in a way that you've never experienced before. The Spirit is alive. You know, the, the, the idea of being filled with the Spirit is ongoing. It's be being filled. <laughs> so it's a constant thing. Uh, I think it was Spurgeon or someone that said, we leak. Uh, well, we do. I mean, we leak. We leak because of the cares of the world around us and because of the things that really trouble us. Uh, so take some quiet time with the Lord. Ask Him to help you determine, discover, understand in a greater way the calling on your life. And take this dash of your tombstone. Whatever's left doesn't really matter. God's outside of time and space. And He will encourage you to draw deeper into that relationship and help you to finish strong. And that's all we can ask for in this kingdom. Blessings to you all. I'll be glad to hear any comments online. You can write to me, ask questions, uh, go to our social media outlets uh, or the website. There's a form you can fill out and just stay in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Blessings and until the next time, love to you all. This was another episode of the Embracing Brokenness podcast. For more information on Embracing Brokenness Ministries or to subscribe to our blog, podcast, YouTube channel, or engage with us on social media, please visit our website at embracingbrokenness.org. Thanks for joining us.